We The People Live is brought to you by AT&T. You can enjoy unlimited entertainment with unlimited data from AT&T. Don't settle for any unlimited data plan. Only the AT&T Unlimited Plus plan comes with HBO included. Learn more at att.com slash unlimited. After 22 gigabytes of data usage, AT&T may slow speeds. Credits for HBO start within two bills. Channels available are subject to change. Charges, other usage and restrictions apply, of course. See att.com slash unlimited for details. G'day humans, welcome to We The People Live, the discussion show for planet Earth, the place that makes debate healthy again. I'm Josh Zepps. Let me ask you, what is male privilege? What should female empowerment look like? Are men's rights activists just misogynists in disguise, or maybe not even in disguise? Is it wrong to care about men's rights? These conversations have been at the forefront of Australian consciousness in recent weeks, due to the cancellation of the premiere of an American documentary film called The Red Pill, which is made by an ex-feminist, a a filmmaker, a woman who claims to have been a feminist and who claims to no longer be one through the process of making this film. Now, the film was funded by Kickstarter and largely with donations from men's rights activist groups. So a lot of women, a lot of feminists feel that it is just misogynistic propaganda there have been protests in Australia. The filmmaker has been in Australia for, on, on tour from America and has had a few fairly disastrous television interviews and says that she feels she's never been treated as unfairly in any country as she has in Australia, that Australians are far too much embroiled in the, in the easy pro-feminist groupthink. We are not allowed to raise questions about how hard men have it, about the high rates of male suicide, about the devaluing of, Ameri- of, of men's lives historically, and about men as, for example, victims of domestic violence as well. One of the people who was implicated in the brouhaha over the filmmakers' television appearances here was my old friend Rachel Corbett, who's an Australian television personality. She was appearing, as she regularly does, on a show called The Project, Uh, which I have sometimes hosted in the past, which is a nightly uh, sort of lighthearted panel news show. And the filmmaker was on it and was not happy with the line of questioning, which was broadly just interrogating whether or not it's biased to be producing uh, a film that focuses solely on the woe is me aspect of being male and which seeks to downplay the, the, the real issues that feminists believe women suffer. This conversation is not a conversation about the film The Red Pill or about the filmmaker. I haven't seen the film. This is a conversation about how we should think about men's rights and how we should think about women's rights in an age of identity politics, in an age of the alt-right. Rachel Corbett has always been a really interesting, independent thinker who provides perspectives that are, that are outside of the box and who doesn't just parrot one line or another. So I enjoyed having this conversation. I was super jet lagged, so I'm not bringing my A game, but I think Rachel Moreland makes up for that. I hope you enjoy this investigation into the, the boundaries of how we can think about men's plight in an era of feminism. This is Rachel Corbett. This is We the People Live. Rachel Corbett, thanks for being on We the People. It's a pleasure, Josh. Thank you for having me. What the hell's going on with you and television and uh, and and fem- why do you hate men so much? <laughs> Is that you what know, happened? No, I have Is always wanted to drag week? you down. <laughs> what happened last week? You were in a controversy on Australian radio, on Australian television. 
Yes, yeah, so The Red Pill is a documentary that uh, has been made by Cassie J about the men's rights movement, uh, mostly in America. And we were, I was on a show in Australia, The Project, uh, and we were doing an interview with her. And we were asking her on a segment that is understandably only a few minutes and, you know, it was pre-recorded, um, so it was a cut down of the original sort of chat. Uh, but we were kind of asking her about one area of the film, which was her uh, coverage of, of domestic violence, and there were some issues raised there about how men's domestic violence, um, men as domestic violence victims are overlooked, which I think is true. But the band, the, sh- the movie had been banned in Australia and she was unsure about why. Can we just uh, pause there just for a moment because you absolutely. just mentioned men as victims of domestic violence. And you said you think that it's true that they get overlooked. I think for a lot of people that is, A, it comes as as a surprise that men are victims of domestic violence and B, it comes as a surprise that that's something that gets overlooked that would need to be looked at. What do you mean? Are you talking about men who are victims of domestic violence at the hands of other men or men who are such pussies that they get beaten up by their girlfriends? Not See, that this... women aren't equally equally strong as men. I'm sure they are. But uh, um, am I just playing into the stereotype here? Is this... Yes. And okay. I don't come at it from the sense that, oh, um, women, how dare you say women couldn't possibly beat up a man. And, but, you know, it's, it's not that side of the argument. I do think there is a tendency uh, if a woman is violent towards a man for people to either say, oh, you're a pussy or, oh, please, you can handle yourself. And the truth is, look, if, if Some men are pussies and we have to love them just as much as all <laughs> other men. I understand exactly what you're saying. But the idea that there are not violent women out there who can seriously fuck up a man and that if a man then goes for help in that situation, we immediately say, well, you're a bloke, you should be able to handle it. You don't think that that's worthy of having a conversation about? Like, the well, I think everything's of- worthy of having a conversation about. It's just I find it, I guess, maybe... I need to have. I need to get more woke about this because you're right. I am not like enlightened to the epidemic of women bashing up their husbands. Okay. Well, the Reader's Digest version is essentially that this this interview went to air, and that in conjunction with the banning of the film in a lot of Australian cinemas, plus an interview, I think the following day on another Australian television show where the um, where the filmmaker was sort of being asked a certain uh, asked questions, and it turned out that the TV hosts hadn't watched the film and were sort of asking questions of her that were challenging the film. Um, all of this kind of combined to a bit of a brouhaha, which which suggested that we in the media were trying to shut down and silence this film. We weren't okay with free speech. We treated this woman unfairly by, you know, um, taking her to task on the on the television show. Um, she came out in the media and said she'd never been treated worse than she had been treated on the show that I was on and on this other show and that the interviews had been heavily edited and that she wanted the original footage to be released because we had harassed her and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that was just hyperbole because if you want an advertisement for your controversial film, buy an ad. And if you are going to make a film about a group of men who, while they have interesting and and, um, important points, I think, at the centre of some of the stuff that they talk about, 
cover it in such vitriolic, aggressive language that seems to be so anti-feminist, anti-women that people have a real issue with it. If you were going to make a film about this movement, warts and all, and you do not in any way delve into those more controversial areas except for a passing comment about one particularly controversial article that you sort of say, oh, well, this is this isn't as controversial as everybody thinks it is and move on, I think it's fair to ask some questions of the director of that film. And was she, sorry, was Be- she in Australia or was she in the States? She was in Australia, yes, and, for the for the film. And she's, she is claiming to be super upset in a unique way about how the Australian media is treating her and that she's been treated better elsewhere? Yes, yeah, that that it was because it had been banned nowhere else. She'd won a film in, in the States, I believe, and, and this was the only place. What does she mean it's been banned place. in Australia? Australia doesn't ban films. Yeah, no, it did. It it wouldn't. Well, there were certain. Uh, well, it didn't ban films, but there were certain cinemas that refused to um, that refused to play it. And I think Netflix here in Australia wouldn't put it on. the The film sort of followed the director's journey from a feminist at the beginning to well, that's me done with feminism. Uh, and it sort of it seemed a little too. I don't know, you know, the whole idea of here's a couple of options and let the audience decide, it seemed a little bit too simple, um, particularly because a lot of the criticisms of the men's rights movement, similar to a lot of the criticisms of the hardcore feminists who think that, you know, men suck and that we it's time that women ruled the world instead of us all joining together and having a crack at it collectively, um, you know, the, the fight towards the men's rights activists was that they write some pretty icky stuff, like in amongst their frustrations about family court situations and custody battles um, and domestic abuse for, uh, towards men. Is it, it, A lot of it is couched in this sort of you're an insufferable <clears throat> bitch sort of language. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, not a great way of convincing people. No, that tends to sort of bury their point that is worthy of discussion around an, a, a whole conversation that just makes a lot of people who just read headlines or read a couple of paragraphs look at these people and go, well, you're just a misogynist asshole. I'm not even going to bother listening to your point. So in the film, the chats that she had with some of the men in the in the movement, they actually brought up some points that for me I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I've never really thought about it from this perspective. We hear what are some of those? Um some of the things that one of the things that I hadn't ever really thought about is this idea that uh for years while women's while men's work has been viewed as more important than women's work, women's lives have been viewed as more important than men's lives. So women and children first, that idea that you know it's the man that has to run into the burning building, you know, whatever you think about that, I had just never really even thought about that in my in my mind and I thought, "Oh, that's actually a really interesting conversation to just add to the discussion um and and so that was interesting they had some some stuff about family court and how it often favors um the mother in certain situations the truth is that i have known women in the past who have tricked men into having children uh and those men uh have felt very guilty about a child that they don't, that they never asked for in the first place and have been sort of linked to this woman and this child in a way that's been like really 
played heavily on their mind for their entire life. And there is a sense of responsibility as a woman. You know, I, I think that sometimes there can be people out there that that don't give a shit about what that does to a bloke and thinks, well, I'm just going to take this kid away and look after it and that's my right and it's my body. And it's like, well, hang on a second. This is You are impacting somebody else's life for the rest of their life just because you want a child. I basically agree with you, but I also think that a lot of the critiques of um, of male dominance are not necessarily coming from a place of like, it's impossible for women to do anything these days. They're more coming from a place of, uh, yes, many women are now equal and that's great, but let's not forget that we still live in a society and a culture and a world in which men have systematically enjoyed privileges, just subtle privileges and ease of life that most women haven't. I Yes, I don't think we need to forget that, but do you, Josh Zepps, have to pay every day of your life for what life was like for women in the 1950s? Like, Apparently so. You... <laughs> Apparently so on Twitter, at least. Apparently so. No, this, I, the... I take your point. Yes, of course, I shouldn't. The thing that frustrates me about this conversation is that I am not a feminist. I'm an equalist. I'm an everyoneist. I don't think that women should. I, my my desire is not just for women to be equal. It's for men to be equal. We have different problems, different strengths and different weaknesses. And I think too often in the collective conversation, we assume that in situations where a man and a woman is involved, a man is always the strong one and the woman is always the weak one. I think that puts too much pressure on men and it doesn't give women enough credit. And I think we would do better to not want to take something away for our gain. And I think when you get the people on the hardcore, um, you know, right on the, the fringes of the men's rights movement who want to talk about important issues by saying all of you feminists are a bunch of people that are, you know, chicks that just are dying to be raped and that kind of rubbish. And then you've got a bunch of people, women on the other side of the argument who's like, you know what, men, it's our time to shine. It's a, And you just think... Oh, my God, we are never going to get anywhere because life is more complex than being black and white. You and I have had a million conversations in our life about how life exists in the grey area and that is no, never where any of the conversation externally happens in the media because we don't have the luxury of time. We cannot change our mind on television because we've got to deliver sound grabs that are succinct and delightful and uh, just get us into the next bit and that kind of stuff. So we end up having these I've got to wrap very... it up now, Rach, but it's been lovely talking to you. This is We The People Live. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash WTP. Make debate healthy again. Bye, Rach. <laughs> what a misogynist thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I can appreciate that the position that I sit in now and the fact that I feel as a woman very powerful, like I do feel very powerful in like today, you know, and I think it is I would rather be a woman today than a man. And I understand that the only reason that I feel that way is because of all the progress that, that has been made. Why is that? I feel because, I mean, I think a lot of, it's interesting doing a lot of commentary and stuff. You know, I, I see there are so many issues that you realize as a woman when you're sitting at a panel of men, you know, you sit back and you think, my goodness, I can say anything I want about these topics. 
without being blasted for it. But you poor bastards have to go through this minefield on a pogo stick because mm. you're not allowed to pass any judgment on reproduction or like you know, anything to do with female, being female, I don't know. I just feel like it's a powerful time. I feel like I can make a choice of whatever I want to do with my life. I don't feel like I'm held back in any way um, in my career. I feel like in the past I have certainly experienced sexism. I have certainly experienced situations where being a woman mattered in the workplace. But in those environments, I don't know whether this is an individual thing, but I feel very powerful when I'm sitting across from an emotionally unintelligent man. You know, I feel like, great, you're sexually harassing me or you think I'm less than you. I now know you are dumber than me. You know, I've never gone to HR for anything, even though there have been plenty of times when technically I could have done, but I delight way too much in publicly humiliating men who try and do things that they shouldn't. Uh, like the uh, man who grabbed my ass at the co- photocopier when I was 21 uh, in <laughs> the most cliched style but ever. So what did you do? I screamed at him. I told him he was a pig and he needed and there was a whole bunch of people around and he was mortified and, you know, I said, what, what are you doing? Like in those situations I've always felt, and that's probably a combination of a number of things, my upbringing, whatever, but I've always felt very... I've felt very powerful, but in in that moment, you know, there have been plenty of situations where I could have gone to HR, but I understand, right, the the power that I have. If if I went out on a date with somebody and I went back to his house and absolutely nothing happened and I felt and I went to the cops and I said I was raped, the cops would believe me. Mm. And the man who did absolutely nothing wrong would have a very difficult time uh, convincing anybody otherwise. Now, I'm not saying that that's what happens, but I know that that power is there. Pardon the interruption, but right now, at AT&T, you can get unlimited data and never pay overages again. Enjoy unlimited entertainment, surf, shop, binge, listen, navigate, stream, all that stuff. That means unlimited We The People Live, for the record, streaming anywhere. And did we mention that only the AT&T Unlimited Plus plan comes with HBO included? Well, it does. Learn more at att.com slash unlimited so you can enjoy your data and entertainment. After 22 gigabytes of data usage, AT&T may slow speeds. The plan includes StreamSaver and videos will stream in standard definition unless you turn it off. Credits for HBO start within two bills. Channels available are subject to change. Charges, other usage and restrictions apply, of course. See att.com slash unlimited for details. I've always struggled with this gender stuff. I've always, and again, check my privilege. Yes, I grew up in a situation where this is a lucky place to be, but I, I've i always been the person that sat in a room with 20 blokes and not realised that I'm the one woman in there. Like I just, it's never been something that's kind of crept in. So like, I don't think of that there was a single situation in my life to date Apart from maybe when I'm in on a date and I realise that the my gender is important, um, I don't think that there is a point at which thinking about my gender or having that at the forefront of my mind would have been useful. Because at no point in my life have I used it as a tool. I have known many women in my life and many men in their my uh, my life that have used their gender as a tool. Particularly, I know women who. You know, they know if they flirt a little bit, they can get a little something extra. Like that sort of makes a difference. 
I, I've never really. But that's true with men as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I mean, mean, guys. I know, you... I know a whole bunch of guys who like work out all the time. They wax their chest. But I, I just have never thought of my gender as a tool. And I think if you do go through your entire life thinking from day dot that the bits that you have been born with have put you in a disadvantage. Um, if you already believe that before you've entered the room, if you already mm. think it's going to be hard for you before you've even got a job, then you are fucked. Like you can so never what you escape need, that. need in a way is for people to believe in the fiction of equality in order for it to happen. It's sort of a magic pudding, which has to, it, it, it has to be believed in before it can be. You can fight for something without taking on the problems of the past as if you're they're your own. I think people are very keen on sort of saying, well, because I am a woman, I suffer the woes of the pre-. Now, if there is someone genuinely suffering in front of you, you need to step in and help that person. But I'm not going to turn around and say, because I am a woman, I take on the woes of it. Like, it, it, woe is me. You know, it's just mm. like life is too short. My way of de- of doing feminism, you know, is to get on with shit. To be the woman in the room who doesn't look, think differently, who is the woman in the room who doesn't turn around at when, every, when there's a slight on me and goes, oh, my God, you know what this is? The patriarchy. You know, I, that is how I do feminism, by not being, by just getting on with my life and understanding that I, even though there are times when some people will measure me differently because I'm a woman, that's, if I get caught up in that garbage and and that's what I focus on rather than, okay, how can I go round you? Then I, I don't get anywhere. Nobody gets anywhere. Um, and the more, if ever, if more women felt that they were powerful, then rather than victims, then surely we'd be, I don't know, we'd be in a better situation. I don't mm. know. I mean, Again, you get into this situation where you start to say these things, you feel like a privileged piece of work. Here, here. <laughs> Talk to me about family court. Uh, the uh, the issue that the men's rights activists have is that they say that the in custody disputes often the um, the court will favour the mother. Um, some people have come back and said that that's often because they're the primary caregivers or there's, um, if you look at the statistics, it, it you know, isn't necessarily as in favour of the men's rights activist uh, argument as they would like it to be. But I, I, I certainly know in, uh, in my experience with friends of mine, um, you know, I'm a, a child of divorce and it was two days with dad and every so often and the rest of the time with mum um and I desperately wanted to live with my dad at when I was younger um and I think that there even though you probably could make a statistical argument that that perhaps it's not necessarily biased I, I do think that there's a sense of assuming that the mother should be if there was a, an even choice that the mother should be the the one that the kid stays with. Now, the assumption that uh, in every single relationship the mother is going to be the best parent out of the two just because she gave birth to that child I think is a bit nuts. How young were you when you wanted to live with your dad? 13. And you think you knew enough to know? 
Yeah. Yes, I do. I mean, at that point, um, but I mean, this is the other difficulty in family court situations is that the, the, the kids are, you know, stuck in a situation they have little or no control over. I mean, they can want to go wherever they want, but they're going to end up going where mum or dad wants them to go, you know. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's well, not I, necessarily. I mean, they, they, if mum and if mum wants them to go somewhere different from dad, then their decision matters, doesn't it? Like their preference matters, especially if you're as old as 13 when a, a court is presumably going to give you some credence. Mm, yeah, I, th- I think uh, I, don't, I can't even remember what happened. I don't think there was ever a court involved in our situation. But um, oh, right. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I just think it, I just thought it was an interesting point because I've, I've seen friends of mine in custody battles who only get the kid for two days a week and it's a fight and a half and there's you know there's no huge situation you know there's nothing glaring like there's no drug drug addiction or alcoholism or anything that indicates that one parent would be any less fit than the other um but the but the child has gone to the mother Mm. and the father is you know kind of fighting for every second christmas and 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 i think sometimes we're too easy to assume that the dad just wants to go off and doesn't really care and the mum is so connected and wants to be with the child and and you know the 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 trauma of being away from your child for a lot of fathers and the fact that they don't get to be the one like it's hard being a being a visitation dad like coming here i remember with my dad he just didn't know what to do with us, you know, because you don't really have a home and you think about the time that you spend with your family. When you're at home, the time that you spend with your family, the quality time is usually just you faffing about doing something in your room while they're cooking something in the kitchen and then you run Mm. around and play in the backyard and they're on the phone and, you know, it's this sort of, it's not like a planned activity. And I remember my dad sort of every time we caught up, it was like, what do we, we had to go and plan something Mm. and do something. And it was kind of exhausting because we didn't have a room at his place. We didn't have, and, and, you know, so it becomes this sort of, you almost become strangers with your kids because you don't really know how to interact with them anymore because you're spending this odd sort of time with them. And, and I, I guess just from my perspective for, for fathers in that situation, I just thought this is worthy of discussion. It's worthy of having, you know, of questioning whether we do um, tend to favour the mother because while I haven't had necessarily a huge amount of experience in the day-to-day grind of family court, you know, I, the handful of, of blokes that I know in this kind of situation have had the child go to the mum despite not being unfit parents or not deserving the kid as much and uh and i think there's probably a whole bunch of dads out there that miss their kids yeah the other thing that that's interesting around this space is the argument that the mras have about women and the power that they have in um reproductive rights and you know when they're having a child and their decision to um to do things in that situation and in the film they talk to a feminist who was saying well for a guy he just needs to look after his part of the equation, which is any moment up until before she gets pregnant. So they need to have a conversation about things. He needs to use protection. And then once she is pregnant, the entire decision is hers because it's her body. She's the only one affected. Every decision from that point on becomes the decision of the woman. 
And I have had people in my life who have been tricked into pregnancy and I thought the idea that a man up until that point of impregnating a woman has to take responsibility for himself and if a woman gets pregnant, the comeback to that is, well, he should have been wearing a condom. The friends of mine were in relationships with people, granted not healthy relationships, but trusted women enough when they said, I'm on birth control. And the women weren't on birth control. And I think in that situation, Do you actually know as a specific people who did that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in that situation, the idea that a man has to, even if a person that he's in a relationship with and wants to trust says, I'm on birth control, has to go, well, sweetheart, I'm still putting a condom on because you just never know. I mean, that's just so not reality. Um, well, it's also condescending they... to women. I mean, what would feminists yes. say about, about a system in which men consistently discounted their claims as being yes. irrational or deceptive. Exactly. Uh, and and the problem that I have with that is, is that as a woman, I feel, again, in this situation in particular, if I get pregnant and I'm in a relationship with somebody and that person doesn't want the baby, I can turn around and say to that person, and it happens every day, where they where a woman says, well, I want the baby, I'm keeping the baby, you don't have to be in the baby's life. Even if you break up and you move on and you have a life and you raise that baby by yourself, the assumption that out of sight, out of mind is what goes on for the guy in that equation. People in my life who've been in that situation have felt such guilt. And, you know, I mean, if it's a if it's an accident or or something that, you know, if he's been tricked into it, you know, I, I think he can't be on the hock for the rest of his life. But the idea if I'm in a relationship, I, I get how much power that is. And I think in that relationship, if the person that is hard, if I if the person that I could not have made this baby without does not want a baby, he he is he has to be part of my decision. Because I know that by having that child and by taking the responsibility on hundred percent myself and saying it's not to do with you, it's my body, it's my choice, and you have no say, I change his life forever. And I am not God, you know, the arrogance of turning around and saying, you have nothing to do with this. This has nothing to do with you. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have this choice. You wouldn't be able to make this choice. And I understand how if that person does not want the baby, you know, I'm one of those people who wants to be a mother desperately, but it still fills me with fear. I've woken up in a sweat in the middle of the night when I've had, I'm on the table giving birth, you know, dreams. And I think, the idea that, but I know that decision is always mine. It will never be anybody else's because I am the one that's going to get pregnant. The idea that that feeling could happen because somebody else has said to me, well, I'm having this damn child and that is it. You know, I think that, you know, I'm ditto, I'm pro-choice, but I think that the idea that it is not a conversation between two people collectively and that there has not got to be some kind of thought given to the fact that even if you take that baby away and raise that baby, you think that doesn't affect that person's life? Sure. Some blokes, it won't. Some blokes piss off and they go, I'm never going to think about that. I don't have to deal with it. I'll get, you know, if I have to pay a check, I'll pay a check, but I don't have to think about it. There are some men that are like that, yes. But there are plenty of men that will forever be tied emotionally to this child that had no decision, had no, had no choice in whether it happens or not. And 
I do think in that situation, we have a lot of power as women and a lot of responsibility um, because if we want a baby, if I want a baby and I'm in a relationship with you and you don't want a baby, I, I can go and get sperm at the sperm bank or I can go and meet somebody else who does want to have a baby. Um, and, I, and I think it's just too much to do to another person to say that their opinion doesn't matter at all when you have made something so significant as another life. I want to be equally as responsible as you. I want to ha- be equally as shit as you. I want to be equally as, you know, I, we have to have equality in all aspects and we have to take responsibility for our side of the equation. But can there you are be some as things- bad as I am at tennis? I don't think it's possible. <laughs> I don't think it's possible <laughs> for you to be as bad as I am at tennis. Sometimes I can't even hit the ball when I'm serving. <laughs> we have to play tennis. <laughs> I'm so bad too. It'll be amazing. Can we do it? Can we do it next time yeah. I'm in Sydney? Yeah, please. Let let yeah. us do that, please. Okay. But, yeah, I do think that we need to ask more of women than feminists want to, you know, I don't think we should be shying away from things or thinking, well, we've had it so, you know, I think we need to see ourselves as powerful. I don't think we need to see ourselves as We need to, we do ourselves a disservice by realising how, by not realising how much we can achieve and how powerful we already are, I think. What do you reckon the future looks like? If you think about uh, about having kids and like what kind of gender relations look like in, I don't know, the 2040s or something, are you able to articulate what that, what, what the good would be? I think the good would be if we're not still stuck in this washing machine and the the echo chamber of the same sort of argument. I think if we all start to see each other individually as people and measure each other on the basis of our individual behaviour as opposed to our identity, you know, that would be magical. I would love to think, and and I don't think there's any reason not to think, that that wouldn't be possible. You think about how far we've come in the last few decades uh, or the last 50 years, 60 years or whatever, I think surely, um, surely that is achievable. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 th- I think it, I don't think it would be naive to think that that might be possible and on the cards. And I certainly hope that I, I don't feel in my life. Um, luckily I don't feel a great deal of inequality in that sense. And I know that is because of, of certain privileges that I've been lucky enough to have, but I also know that it's a, a it is a product of, of what's gone before, and so if if this is where we're at now, I would like to hope that we can sort of drag everybody up to the point where we look at each other and say, you know what, you're a man, and yes, you had choices I didn't have, but I know certain things in your life are shitty, and as a woman, I can recognise that because you are another person, you're another human being sitting across from me, and I know life isn't all that great for you sometimes, and it doesn't matter that you know your your differences are different to my differences there's still problems and I still need to see that. And I think we need to see more of each other. I think, you know, men need to recognise women, but women need to see men too. You know, you can't turn around and say, well, you've had it good for so long and that's it and your t- your time's done. We've got to look at a, across a, a, another human being and say, I want the best for you, no matter what your bits are, you know. When you say bits uh, and you... And- <laughs> When you say your bits are different from my bits, are you, do you need to be so crass? I mean, this is so <laughs> crass. 
no, I think that's great. And, and so just the fine, my final question would be, do you think that the impediment to reaching that future of treating each other like individuals is is more, do you think that the, that the greater impediment is from white men or from not white men? Because I actually, I've gotten to a point where as a white man, I'm not able to accurately judge for myself what the real impediment to kind of harmony is. Ironically enough, the people that say they are fighting for the cause on the fringes are the ones that are going to fuck it up. Because they're, you know, if if you are fighting for, if you are a feminist and you are fighting for equal rights for women, but any time that anything happens, you make it a gender issue and you scream and you yell about how men are the root of all evil and that you wish that women ruled the world because then everything would be perfect. Well, then all of a sudden this brilliant argument that you have at the centre of things, which is that women should be treated equally, completely goes out of the window because you just look like a nutter with an axe to grind. And ditto on the other side of the fence with the men's rights activists, you know, you've got some fabulous points. There are some serious issues there that we need to discuss and talk about and flesh out in the open. But if you then begin everything with you're a stupid bitch and, you know, you deserve to be raped and all of this language that kind of just completely negates your argument, then all of that wonderful magical stuff that you have at the base of that argument that deserves to be thrown a light on, nobody looks at because all they're interested in is the headline and a couple of paragraphs where you were a bastard And that's what sort of drowns out the argument. So I think until people become a bit more level-headed about it, before they, until they start to be able to look at other people's arguments that don't match their own, listen to it, say, okay, I take that on board, I recognise it, rather than hearing the two words that they want to hear and screaming back, you just don't want me to have any, you know, we all need to just shut the hell up, listen to what somebody else is saying and genuinely see if there is something in there that could in some way change our mind or add to our argument. No, And nobody has it right 100% of the time. Well, I mean, I, I, do, that... I do have it right 100% oh, you do. of the time. <laughs> you I'm do, just except saying... in tennis. <laughs> Rachel, wonderful to talk to you. It's a pleasure as you always too. to get your insights. Thank you. Can you just like occasionally next time someone tells me that I'm sexist, can you just, can I put up like a bat signal, but like a female bat signal (laughs) onto the clouds and can you just come and rescue me? Yeah, I'll fly in in my cape. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) If you enjoy the show, follow it on Twitter at WTP underscore live. Follow me at Josh Sepps. And, of course, you can support the show and make it possible. It's you who makes the show possible at patreon.com slash WTP. Until next time, make debate healthy again.